Book Eight, Chapters Seven and Eight of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume Two by Flavius Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Book Eight, Chapters Seven and Eight. Chapter Seven: How Solomon Grew Rich and fell desperately in love with women, and how God, being incensed at it, raised up Ader and Jeroboam against him. Concerning the death of Solomon. About the same time there were brought to the king from the Aurea Chersonesis, a country so called, precious stones and pine trees, and those trees he made use of for supporting the temple and the palace, as also for the materials of musical instruments, the harps and the psalteries, that the Levites might make use of them in their hymns to God. The wood which was brought to him at this time was larger and finer than any that had ever been brought before. But let no one imagine that these pine trees were like those which are now so named, and which take that their denomination from the merchants, who so call them, that they may procure them to be admired by those that purchase them. For those we speak of were to the sight like the wood of a fig tree, but were whiter and more shining. Now we have said thus much, that nobody may be ignorant of the difference between these sorts of wood, nor unacquainted with the nature of the genuine pine tree. And we thought it both a seasonable and a humane thing, when we mentioned it, and the uses the king made of it, to explain this difference so far as we have done. Now the weight of gold that was brought him was six hundred and sixty-six talents, not including in that sum what was brought by the merchants, nor what the toparchs and kings of Arabia gave him in presents. He also cast two hundred targets of gold, each of them weighing six hundred shekels. He also made three hundred shields, every one weighing three pounds of gold, and he had them carried and put into that house which was called the Forest of Lebanon. He also made cups of gold and of precious stones, for the entertainment of his guests, and had them adorned in the most artificial manner. And he contrived that all his other furniture of vessels should be of gold, for there was nothing then to be sold or bought for silver. For the king had many ships which lay upon the sea of Tarsus, these he commanded to carry out all sorts of merchandise unto the remotest nations, by the sale of which silver and gold were brought to the king, and a great quantity of ivory, and Ethiopians, and apes. And they finished their voyage, going and returning, in three years' time. Accordingly, there went a great fame all around the neighboring countries, which proclaimed the virtue and wisdom of Solomon, insomuch that all kings everywhere were desirous to see him, as not giving credit to what was reported, on account of its being almost incredible. They also demonstrated the regard they had for him by the presents they made him, for they sent him vessels of gold and silver and purple garments, and many sorts of spices and horses and chariots, and as many mules for his carriages as they could find proper to please the king's eyes by their strength and beauty. This addition that he made to those chariots and horses which he had before from those that were sent him, augmented the number of his chariots by above four hundred, for he had a thousand before, and augmented the number of his horses by two thousand, for he had twenty thousand before. 
these horses also were so much exercised, in order to their making a fine appearance and running swiftly, that no others could, upon their comparison, appear either finer or swifter. But they were at once the most beautiful of all others, and their swiftness was incomparable also. Their riders also were a further ornament to them, being in the first place young men of the most delightful flower of their age, and being eminent for their largeness, and far taller than other men. They had also very long heads of hair hanging down, and were clothed in garments of Tyrian purple. They had also dust of gold every day sprinkled on their hair, so that their heads sparkled with the reflection of the sunbeams from the gold. The king himself rode upon a chariot in the midst of these men, who were still in armor, and had their bows fitted to them. He had on a white garment, and used to take his progress out of the city in the morning. There was a certain place about fifty furlongs distant from Jerusalem, which is called Etham, very pleasant it is in fine gardens, and abounding in rivulets of water. Thither did he used to go out in the morning, sitting on high in his chariot. Now Solomon had a divine sagacity in all things, and was very diligent and studious to have things done after an elegant manner. So he did not neglect the care of the ways, but he laid a causeway of black stone along the roads that led to Jerusalem, which was the royal city, both to render them easy for travellers, and to manifest the grandeur of his riches and government. He also parted his chariots, and set them in a regular order, that a certain number of them should be in every city, still keeping a few about him. And those cities he called the cities of his chariots. And the king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stones in the street. And so multiplied cedar trees in the plains of Judea, which did not grow there before, that they were like the multitude of common sycamore trees. He also ordained the Egyptian merchants that brought him their merchandise to sell him a chariot with a pair of horses for six hundred drachmae of silver, and he sent them to the kings of Syria and to those kings that were beyond Euphrates. But although Solomon was become the most glorious of kings and the best beloved by God, and had exceeded in wisdom and riches those that had been rulers of the Hebrews before him, yet did not he persevere in this happy state till he died. Nay, he forsook the observation of the laws of his fathers, and came to an end no way suitable to our foregoing history of him. He grew mad in his love of women, and laid no restraint on himself in his lusts, nor was he satisfied with the women of his country alone, but he married many wives out of foreign nations, Sidonians and Tyrians and Ammonites and Edomites, and he transgressed the laws of Moses, which forbade Jews to marry any but those that were of their own people. He also began to worship their gods, which he did in order to the gratification of his wives, and out of his affection for them. This very thing our legislator suspected, and so admonished us beforehand, that we should not marry women of other countries, lest we should be entangled with foreign customs, and apostatize from our own, lest we should leave off to honor our own God, and should worship their gods. But Solomon was fallen headlong into unreasonable pleasures, and regarded not those admonitions. For when he had married seven hundred wives, the daughters of princes and of eminent persons, 
and three hundred concubines, and those besides the king of Egypt's daughter, he soon was governed by them, till he came to imitate their practices. He was forced to give them this demonstration of his kindness and affection to them, to live according to the laws of their countries. And as he grew into years, and his reason became weaker by length of time, it was not sufficient to recall to his mind the institutions of his own country. So he still more and more contemned his own God, and continued to regard the gods that his marriages had introduced, nay, before this happened, he sinned, and fell into an error about the observation of the laws, when he made images of brazen oxen that supported the brazen sea, and the images of lions about his own throne. For these he made, although it was not agreeable to piety so to do. And this he did, notwithstanding that he had his father as a most excellent and domestic pattern of virtue, and knew what a glorious character he had left behind him because of his piety towards God. Nor did he imitate David, although God had twice appeared to him in his sleep, and exhorted him to imitate his father. So he died ingloriously. There came therefore a prophet to him, who was sent by God, and told him that his wicked actions were not concealed from God, and threatened him that he should not long rejoice in what he had done, that indeed the kingdom should not be taken from him while he was alive, because God had promised to his father David that he would make him his successor, but that he would take care that this should befall his son when he was dead, not that he would withdraw all the people from him, but that he would give ten tribes to a servant of his, and leave only two tribes to David's grandson for his sake, because he loved God, and for the sake of the city of Jerusalem, wherein he should have a temple. When Solomon heard this, he was grieved and greatly confounded, upon this change of almost all that happiness which had made him to be admired into so bad a state. Nor had there much time passed after the prophet had foretold what was coming, before God raised up an enemy against him, whose name was Ader, who took the following occasion of his enmity to him. He was a child of the stock of the Edomites, and of the blood royal. And when Joab, the captain of David's host, laid waste the land of Edom, and destroyed all that were men grown, and able to bear arms for six months' time, this Hadad fled away, and came to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who received him kindly, and assigned him a house to dwell in, and a country to supply him with food. And when he was grown up, he loved him exceedingly, insomuch that he gave him his wife's sister, whose name was Tophanes, to wife, by whom he had a son, who was brought up with the king's children. When Hadad heard in Egypt that both David and Joab were dead, he came to Pharaoh and desired that he should permit him to go to his own country, upon which the king asked what it was that he wanted, and what hardship he had met with, that he was so desirous to leave him. And when he was often troublesome to him, and entreated him to dismiss him, he did not then do it. But at the time when Solomon's affairs began to grow worse, on account of his forementioned transgressions, and God's anger against him for the same, Hadad, by Pharaoh's permission, came to Edom. And when he was not able to make the people forsake Solomon, for it was kept under by many garrisons, and an innovation was not to be made with safety, he removed thence, and came into Syria, 
where he lighted upon one Rizan, who had run away from Hadadezer, king of Zobah, his master, and was become a robber in that country, and joined friendship with him, who had already a band of robbers about him. So he went up and seized upon that part of Syria, and was made king thereof. He also made incursions into the land of Israel, and did it no small mischief, and spoiled it, and that in the lifetime of Solomon. And this was the calamity which the Hebrews suffered by Hadad. There was also one of Solomon's own nation that made an attempt against him, Jeroboam the son of Nabot, who had an expectation of rising from a prophecy that had been made to him long before. He was left a child by his father, and brought up by his mother. And when Solomon saw that he was of an active and bold disposition, he made him the curator of the walls which he built round about Jerusalem. And he took such care of those works, that the king approved of his behavior, and gave him, as a reward for the same, the charge of the tribe of Joseph. And when about that time Jeroboam was once going out of Jerusalem, a prophet of the city Shiloh, whose name was Ahijah, met him and saluted him. And when he had taken him a little aside to a place out of the way, where there was not one other person present, he rent the garment he had on into twelve pieces, and bid Jeroboam take ten of them, and told him beforehand that, This is the will of God. He will part the dominion of Solomon, and give one tribe, with that which is next it, to his son, because of the promise made to David for his succession, and will give ten tribes to thee, because Solomon hath sinned against him, and delivered up himself to women, and to their gods. Seeing therefore thou knowest the cause for which God hath changed his mind, and is alienated from Solomon, be thou righteous, and keep the laws, because he hath proposed to thee the greatest of all rewards for thy piety, and the honor thou shalt pay to God, namely, to be as greatly exalted as thou knewest David to have been. So Jeroboam was elevated by these words of the prophet, and being a young man of a warm temper, and ambitious of greatness, he could not be quiet. And when he had so great a charge in the government, and called to mind what had been revealed to him by Ahijah, he endeavored to persuade the people to forsake Solomon, to make a disturbance, and to bring the government over to himself. But when Solomon understood his intention and treachery, he sought to catch him and kill him. But Jeroboam was informed of it beforehand, and fled to Shishak, the king of Egypt, and there abode till the death of Solomon. By which means he gained these two advantages, to suffer no harm from Solomon, and to be preserved for the kingdom. So Solomon died when he was already an old man, having reigned eighty years, and lived ninety-four. He was buried in Jerusalem, having been superior to all other kings in happiness and riches and wisdom, excepting that when he was growing into years he was deluded by women, and transgressed the law. Concerning which transgressions, and the miseries which befell the Hebrews thereby, I think proper to discourse at another opportunity. Chapter 8 how, upon the death of Solomon, the people forsook his son Rehoboam, and ordained Jeroboam king over the ten tribes. Now when Solomon was dead, and his son Rehoboam, who was born of an Ammonite wife whose name was Nema, had succeeded him in the kingdom, 
the rulers of the multitude sent immediately into Egypt, and called back Jeroboam. And when he was come to them, to the city Shechem, Rehoboam came to it also, for he had resolved to declare himself king to the Israelites while they were there gathered together. So the rulers of the people, as well as Jeroboam, came to him, and besought him, and said that he ought to relax and to be gentler than his father in the servitude he had imposed on them, because they had borne a heavy yoke, and that then they should be better affected to him, and be well contented to serve him under his moderate government, and should do it more out of love than fear. But Rehoboam told them they should come to him again in three days' time, when he would give an answer to their request. This delay gave occasion to a present suspicion, since he had not given them a favorable answer to their mind immediately. For they thought that he should have given them a humane answer off-hand, especially since he was but young. However, they thought that this consultation about it, and that he did not presently give them a denial, afforded them some good hope of success. Rehoboam now called his father's friends, and advised with them what sort of answer he ought to give the multitude, upon which they gave him the advice which became friends, and those that knew the temper of such a multitude. They advised him to speak in a way more popular than suited the grandeur of a king, because he would thereby oblige them to submit to him with good will, it being most agreeable to subjects that their kings should be almost upon the level with them. But Rehoboam rejected this so good and in general so profitable advice. It was such, at least, at that time when he was to be made king, God himself, I suppose, causing what was most advantageous to be condemned by him. So he called for the young men who were brought up with him, and told them what advice the elders had given him, and bade them speak what they thought he ought to do. They advised him to give the following answer to the people, for neither their youth nor God himself suffered them to discern what was best. That his little finger should be thicker than his father's loins, and if they had met with hard usage from his father, they should experience much rougher treatment from him, and if his father had chastised them with whips, they must expect that he would do it with scorpions. The king was pleased with this advice, and thought it agreeable to the dignity of his government to give them such an answer. Accordingly, when the multitude was come together to hear his answer on the third day, all the people were in great expectation, and very intent to hear what the king would say to them, and supposed they should hear somewhat of a kind nature. But he passed by his friends, and answered as the young men had given him counsel. Now this was done according to the will of God, that what Ahijah had foretold might come to pass. By these words the people were struck as it were by an iron hammer, and were so grieved at the words, as if they had already felt the effects of them and they had great indignation at the king. And all cried out loud and said, We will have no longer any relation to David or his posterity after this day. And they said further, We only leave to Rehoboam the temple which his father built. And they threatened to forsake him. Nay, they were so bitter, and retained their wrath so long, that when he sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, that he might pacify them, and render them milder, and persuade them to forgive him if he had said anything that was rash or grievous to them in his youth, they would not hear it but threw stones at him and killed him. 
When Rehoboam saw this, he thought himself aimed at by those stones with which they had killed his servant, and feared lest he should undergo the last of punishments in earnest. So he got immediately into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem, where the tribe of Judah and that of Benjamin ordained him king. But the rest of the multitude forsook the sons of David from that day, and appointed Jeroboam to be the ruler of their public affairs. Upon this Rehoboam, Solomon's son, assembled a great congregation of those two tribes that submitted to him, and was ready to take a hundred and eighty thousand chosen men out of the army to make an expedition against Jeroboam and his people, that he might force them by war to be his servants. But he was forbidden of God by the prophet Shemaiah to go to war, for that it was not just that brethren of the same country should fight one against another. He also said that this defection of the multitude was according to the purpose of God. So he did not proceed in this expedition. And now I will relate first the actions of Jeroboam the king of Israel, after which we will relate what are therewith connected the actions of Rehoboam, the king of the two tribes. By this means we shall preserve the good order of the history entire. When therefore Jeroboam had built him a palace in the city of Shechem, he dwelt there. He also built him another at Penuel, a city so called. And now the Feast of Tabernacles was approaching in a little time, Jeroboam considered that if he should permit the multitude to go to worship God at Jerusalem, and there to celebrate the festival, they would probably repent of what they had done, and be enticed by the temple, and by the worship of God there performed, and would leave him, and return to their first kings. And if so, he should run the risk of losing his own life. So he invented this contrivance. He made two golden heifers, and built two little temples for them, the one in the city Bethel, and the other in Dan, which last was at the fountains of the lesser Jordan, and he put the heifers into both the little temples in the aforementioned cities. And when he had called those ten tribes together over whom he ruled, he made a speech to the people in these words. I suppose, my countrymen, that you know this, that every place hath God in it, nor is there any one determinate place in which he is, but he everywhere hears and sees those that worship him, on which account I do not think it right for you to go so long a journey to Jerusalem, which is an enemy's city, to worship him. It was a man that built the temple. I have also made two golden heifers dedicated to the same God, and the one of them I have consecrated in the city Bethel, and the other in Dan, to the end that those of you that dwell nearest those cities may go to them and worship God there. And I will ordain for you certain priests and Levites from among yourselves, that you may have no want of the tribe of Levi or of the sons of Aaron. But let him that is desirous among you of being a priest bring to God a bullock and a ram, which they say Aaron the first priest brought also. When Jeroboam had said this, he deluded the people, and made them to revolt from the worship of their forefathers, and to transgress their laws. This was the beginning of miseries to the Hebrews, and the cause why they were overcome in war by foreigners, and so fell into captivity. But we shall relate those things in their proper places hereafter. When the Feast of Tabernacles was just approaching, Jeroboam was desirous to celebrate it himself in Bethel, 
as did the two tribes celebrated in Jerusalem. Accordingly, he built an altar before the heifer, and undertook to be high priest himself. So he went up to the altar with his own priests about him. But when he was going to offer the sacrifices and the burnt offerings in the sight of the people, a prophet, whose name was Jadon, was sent by God, and came to him from Jerusalem, who stood in the midst of the multitude and in the hearing of the king, and directing his discourse to the altar, said thus, God foretells that there shall be a certain man of the family of David, Josiah by name, who shall slay upon thee those false prophets that shall live at that time, and upon thee shall burn the bones of those deceivers of the people, those impostors and wicked wretches. However, that this people may believe that these things shall so come to pass, I foretell a sign to them that shall also come to pass. This altar shall be broken to pieces immediately and all the fat of the sacrifices that is upon it shall be poured upon the ground. When the prophet had said this, Jeroboam fell into a passion and stretched out his hand, and bid them lay hold of him. But that hand which he stretched out was enfeebled, and he was not able to pull it in again to him, for it was become withered and hung down as if it were a dead hand. The altar also was broken to pieces, and all that was upon it was poured out, as the prophet had foretold should come to pass. So the king understood that he was a man of veracity, and had a divine foreknowledge, and entreated him to pray to God that he would restore his right hand. Accordingly the prophet did pray to God to grant him that request. So the king, having his hand recovered to its natural state, rejoiced at it, and invited the prophet to sup with him. But Jadon said that he could not endure to come into his house, nor to taste of bread or water in this city, for that was a thing God had forbidden him to do, as also to go back by the same way which he came, but he said he was to return by another way. So the king wondered at the abstinence of the man, but was himself in fear, as suspecting a change of his affairs for the worse from what had been said to him. End of Book 8, Chapters 7 and 8